Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. everybody welcome to another episode of true crime and cocktails famous fatalities edition as always i am your host lauren ash and as always i am joined by my co-hostess with the most s christy oxborough how you feeling <laughs> today <laughs> today is just feeling there's, there's a lot of like manic i think in the air uh we did record the two lives today I shouldn't say record. Yeah. We we did the two lives. We recorded a couple little extra videos that we needed in between. Now we're recording this, which this is a beast of a case. It gives you wouldn't you wouldn't yeah. think it does, yeah. but it does. I'm just feeling a lot of manic energy everywhere and so I'm not sure what's happening. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> This is, you know, it's funny because in the last episode I talked about how it was going to be my last day in dry January and I, my math was completely wrong. Today I'm, I'm still in dry yeah. January. This is, of course, January 31st. We're recording this episode and that is relevant because uh, I'm, I am thankful that I'm not drinking because I feel like it would just <laughs> plummet me. Into a place that not only would be oh. not fun to listen to for anybody, but I, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know that I can function. I feel heavily intoxicated, and I have not taken a drink in you know a month. So, yeah, we're we're running on adrenaline and dreams at this point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I was up very late um, doing the last of my research. I thought back to the last time I was like underslept. And felt really manic and weird. And that, I don't know if it was the last time, but one of the first times would have been a death in Oslo. 
So in a nod to that. Choo-choo! <laughs> no! I... Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, friend of the podcast, yeah. it's Brandy, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, this bitch is happy to be here. Oh my God. She, you, I, if, for those of you who are listening and not yeah. watching, Christy took a sip of her drink and recoiled <laughs> so badly. I, I was about to ask her. She was talking and I was like, oh, you got to, the next thing you got to ask her is what the heck is she drinking? The answer is a friend of all of ours, dear old friend Brandy. The problem is I've done Brandy dirty this week, which is normally the other way around. I thought for fun, because sometimes, sure. sometimes I like a cherry whiskey Coke. This is a cherry brandy Coke. And I ah. thought, sometimes I like to put a little lime juice in it just to like kick it up. Well, I think I got a little heavy handed or didn't mix it properly. So that felt like all I got was lime. It was intense. And so <laughs> for the video, yeah, there was some recoiling, but we'll, we'll see what happens. We're, it's just today feels like a weird day and... The case has me very, like, I love that I can't think of the best way to put it, but, like, sup, Holmes? Like, you know, like, I'm feeling really, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit, there's a little gangsta that's going to come out. You're a little street right I'm now. Gonna, this is going to be the most street I've ever been, and I'm worried about that. Wow. So, <laughs> that's why I brought a friend. Yeah, exactly. Listen, don't write the letters, okay? You know that we're not problematic, that she's under the influence of of a lot of deep research into a lot of, you know, extreme gangs. Yeah. Uh, of course, this episode, of, of course, is Tupac Shakur. Now, again, when we started this season, we were talking about who are we going to have to cover in the famous fatalities. My number one choice, Brittany Murphy. Christie's number one choice, Tupac, which, again, shocked both of us. But I am super excited to get into it. I should also I should also just add just to just to like add again to like paint the picture of our true like true chaotic manic mania yeah. manic mania mm. feels like a double doesn't matter I shot night shoots all this week on my on my TV show that I'm on and night shoots they just you just get discombobulated because you're used to working early hours you're you're used yeah. to going to work probably at like six o'clock you got to be there so you're you're used to like a four a.m. wake up sometimes for the most part. And so then when you ha- don't show up to work until 1.30 and you're working into the night and you do that and you're, you're in the night and then it's this, you're sleeping in the day, it's just like you just get, you just get, you feel for lack of a better term, like you start to feel unhinged. Yeah. And so that on top with our, of our Patreon launch, which of course launched February 1st, which we're so excited yeah. about. All the bonus episodes, if you haven't checked it out yet, give it a look, give it a listen, see see what you think. We're very excited to be offering all of those kinds of uh, bonus content options for our dear fans and listeners. Between those two things, yeah, and then we, we basically scheduled today thing after thing after thing after thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am, I am on another planet, and so <laughs> I like that you, you're on the street, and I'm on... Planet Mars. That's what's basically <laughs> happening. You've got yeah. it's Mork and Mindy, is what I'm saying. Oh. <laughs> if Mindy was a hardcore rapper, <laughs> now that is a remake I'd like to watch. No, don't ever remake right? anything that has Robin Williams in it. 
You can't. No. Uh, you just can't. But no, that's the show I want to see. And you know what? I think it was like the manic energy, lack of sleep. I was like, oh, God, I'm just, I just, oh, I don't know. What am I going to do? And then it was like, well, the answer is get that warm hug on the inside. Bring your best bitch along and see what happens. I mean, who are we kidding? Yeah. Brandy's my second best bitch. Obviously, you are my first best bitch. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, of course. If yes. I was some sort of like head of like a street gang, I would, of course, have my best bitches. And yeah. you would be you would be my number one. And Brandy would be number yes. two. And um, then they'd have to arm wrestle for number three. Yeah. And I say good luck to them. Positions of good luck. <laughs> good luck, Beyonce and Rihanna. Oh. Oh, but if right. Lizzo gets in there. Oh, oh, but also Taylor Swift because you love oh, her too. I do, and I. Kelly Clarkson, you know how I love Kelly Clarkson. This is going to turn into a big girl fight. You know what? But if I know anything about us, there's not going to be any fighting. We're not going to allow it. It's just going to be a really big girl gang. <laughs> I think it's time. Yeah. I think it's time. Yeah. No more rankings. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll no tell everybody rankings. we're all on the same the same level. We just we're all equal, but then I'll look at you and be like, obviously. Yeah. Obviously. And I'll just yeah. wink and we we know. Yeah. And Brandy will know. <laughs> Brandy knows little, everything <laughs> before I I even know it. <laughs> in her tiny bitter heart, she knows. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so of course we are going to be talking about Tupac Shakur. Uh his of course technically unsolved death yeah. to this day it's technically unsolved although of course there is lots of theories lots of craziness to get to but I gotta ask obviously you know you as you told me you texted me very early this morning yeah. and you said you think that you may have over-researched for the first time and I said I didn't realize that was a possibility yeah. and you said neither did I <laughs> but I've gotta ask because I know you went head first you told me that you've been you you watched poetic justice for example I did. Right? I did, yeah. I felt like if I was going to watch anything that he had done, he had done a few movies. Right. I was going to go just like headfirst with some Janet. That felt the right. Of course. And uh, Regina King is in it, and that's what sold me. I was like, 100%, I have to go there. I did also watch a six-part A&E biography series called Who Killed Tupac um, that... It was, it was very informative. It was like a theory of ev on every episode they would go into and like research the theory and disprove or not. The only thing is it was hosted by a civil rights attorney who only had one volume and it just felt like he shouted at us the whole time. Oh. And it was just like, just dial it back, sir. Dial it back. But his passion, that's what it was. It was his passion. I also watched... Another documentary that was called Murder Rap Inside the Biggie and Tupac Murders uh, from 2015. So that right there is a solid eight hours of some Tupac viewing plus the two hours of Poetic Justice. Uh, also, when I'm watching documentaries to do research, I'm pausing every couple minutes to make sure I'm getting notes, get the right screenshot so I can see the information they're not sh clearly showing me so I know what to look up later. So sometimes it takes me way longer to watch some of this stuff. But I also, right. because it was Tupac, 
who I didn't know much about him going into this, which is crazy that he was my choice. Uh, but I don't regret it at all. Oh, I should also say I did read a book. There are many out there about him. I read Tupac Shakur, The Life and Times of an American Icon. But I also thought, for fun, while I'm making my notes, just put on a little Tupac. Have oh. a little Tupac to guide me in my notes. He has many albums. I only uh, listened to two but I'm going to tell you, I, I've always loved California Love. It was the only song oh, yeah. of his that I've ever known. And now I listen to All Eyes on Me and Me Against the World. And now All Eyes on Me was such, I mean, both were decent, but it was such a great time. It took me back to like when I was into like Dr. Dre and Ludacris, Missy Elliott, DMX, Ice Cube, like all of these and so it was just a nice like throwback for myself just to have him there you know yeah, yeah. did you listen to any of those other artists as well like you, you were listening to the Tupac did you branch out into any of those other people you were just talking about um I have I have all of them in my iTunes I have not ah. listened to them some of them in the last like decade or so right but like Missy Elliott is somebody who's always like high on the rotation because I've always loved her. And uh, You Can Do It by Ice Cube is among my favorite songs that have ever occurred because he has an energy that I I am drawn to. I don't want to see photos of him smiling. Whoop, 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 whoop. Blanche alert, <laughs> Blanche alert. <laughs> Yeah, there she is. Yeah. There's our girl. Yeah, he's just yeah. He's got an energy that I respond to, and he yells about something. We watched Twenty One Jump Street the other day, and he was in that, and he yelled at them, and my heart just went, "Whoa!" <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I love this because I know that obviously he has that way about yes. him but I don't know if I've ever told you this now of course this is me with my weird Hollywood yeah. life but I was actually at a charity event where he was being honored and ironically I somehow was in the front row I don't know how this happened <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a lot of so questions was he angry was his brow furrowed <laughs> did he shout at anyone you know, I, I yes and no to all of those at the same time. Okay. Kind of. So there's this organization in in Los Angeles called LA Family Housing, and they actually do amazing work because there's a huge, huge homeless population in Southern California, but especially in Los Angeles, and they do amazing work creating affordable housing and helping people transition into different housing and get permanent housing, and and it's it's oh these these charity events that they hold are so moving and they bring in people that they've helped and, and it's everybody cries and it's it's a beautiful thing but Ice Cube is actually a huge supporter of theirs and has been for years oh. and so they were honoring him and he spoke and he was quite serious yes um, so I think he kind of technically did I wouldn't say he necessarily shouted mm. but he definitely spoke with passion but it's so funny because it was like seeing him in a very different light because I think a lot of people maybe kind of think of him in the 
what you see in in the movies yes. like you see him in like friday or yes. whatever or your perception of him as a rapper and he was you know in a tuxedo you know oh. accepting a an award and, and speaking in a really lovely way about the the great work that this charity does so you know that's through a different lens he contains multitudes is what i'm saying he's like a cake he's got layers you know absolutely yeah. yeah i actually was like very impressed by him he was actually like very well spoken and and because sometimes look oh god i'm not even drunk and i'm like let's spill the tea <laughs> sometimes you go to the things you go to charity things no. um <laughs> <laughs> don't slip on the ice yeah. cube sometimes you go to charity things and there'll be famous people who kind of speak or whatever and then you're you kind of are like you listen to them and you're like how connected is this person to this really? But he really did seem very passionate oh. about the organization and seemed really like really excited about the work that they do and, and seemed very knowledgeable about it. So I did really, I really did find him what he said very moving genuinely. So that's great. Yeah. I mean, doesn't really do it for me, but <laughs> I'm getting, I get no, it. You want him to be no, angry, I, yelling. I guess, yeah. I mean, do I want more people interested in like helping make the world a better place absolutely yeah but when i want a bad boy <laughs> uh-huh that's not the time to start thinking of others <laughs> <laughs> what i'm hearing is is that your fantasies do not involve philanthropists and i respect that <laughs> i mean i guess it depends on the the person but i guess I guess I'm my my dream is Ice Cube the myth not the man. <laughs> I'm not even sure what that means at this point. I'm not either but I somehow really get it. I'm not sure about it but also I feel it in my soul. Do you know what yeah, I mean? I mean, I get that. Yeah. But that's also when oh now I can I I have to say it now, even though Please do. we're going to get a lot of letters about this. But this is like when I had that crush on Heath Ledger's Joker. Oh. And I wasn't like, it wasn't Heath Ledger as the Joker. And then people are like, you can't have a crush on the Joker. He's terrible. And yes, yes, now I know that. Now when I look at the Joker, I'm like, no, I don't have a thing for him. But I was at a very low point in my life. <laughs> and I was like, gosh, I just feel like the Joker would do anything for you. Now, of course, I recognize that the Joker is a terrible partner. I get it. But there was a time where I was like, but I feel like he would, like, probably cut someone for me. He wouldn't. I know more about the comics now than I did then. So I get it. I was naive before. I have said multiple times. I could be a mobster's girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Like, there are moments yeah. where I'm like, I could turn a blind eye. I could have people like, it's it's the power. It's like, I could, I could be on the side of that power. But I think I'm also right. like transitioning to like, fuck being his girlfriend. Like, I want them to want to be the one with me, be with me because I'm the one in power. Ah, And I this see. is where the therapy goes in this episode today. Just yeah. like she wants, uh, there are times where it's like, yeah, she wants power. Not right now. Right now, I just, I think I just want fries. 
Amen to that. Amen to that. Very wise. I too have a lot of layers. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all, baby? Oh, gosh. Yes. I love it so much. Okay. Well, look, we've got lots to get through, so we're going to jump right into it. Of course, we are talking about Tupac Shakur. To give you a little bit of backstory for those who don't remember, because I also was like, gosh, how old was I when this happened? I remember it, but I was quite young. So just to refresh everybody's memory and for anybody young who's like, I don't know who you're talking about whatsoever. In September 1996, rapper and actor Tupac Shakur died after being gunned down on the Las Vegas Strip. In the 25 years since, no arrests have been made despite the numerous theories about the shooter's identity. So who is responsible for the death of Tupac? Was it someone from the East Coast rap feud? A rival gang member? Or could it have been the very man who was in the car with Tupac when he was shot? (gasps) Wow. And then, of course, there's the people that think he's still alive. But we'll get to that later. They're they're on my list, yep. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Gosh, now I'm just realizing, now that I'm looking at these notes, he was 25. Yeah. Isn't that horrifying? Uh, My goodness. 100%. Plus, I have so many notes on things that were done in his life, and mostly, like, while he was famous, which is the span of, like, four years So it's insane that so much went down in such a small time. Um, I did write just a small little bio, one may say, uh, to give people like an insight into him just overall. So bear with me. Lassane Parrish Crooks was born June 16th, 1971. His mother would later change his name to Tupac Amaru after she joined the Black Panther Party. She then, at that time, changed her name from Alice to Afeni. Tupac would take his surname from his stepfather, Matulu Shakur, who was a member of the Black Liberation Army, who was sentenced to 60 years in prison for his involvement in an armored truck robbery in the early 1980s. Whoa. Uh, Born in New York, Tupac and his family moved to Maryland, where Tupac attended the Baltimore School of Arts where he met a young drug dealer by the name of Jada Pinkett. Stop. The only way I found out she was a drug dealer in school is because she's the one who said it. Wow. They had a friendship. She said it was never more than a friendship, but they had a very deep friendship. Will Smith was said to be jealous of Tupac. So I'm just saying. Wow. In 1990, Tupac uh, became a dancer and roadie for the group Digital Underground, People may know them uh, for the song The Humpty Dance. Oh, yes. He quickly made his recording debut in 1991 on their song Same Song. Months later, he landed a record deal and his first album, Tupacalypse Now, debuted. He would later release a total of 11 platinum albums, four during his career, seven released posthumously. To date, Tupac has sold more than 75 million albums worldwide so that's wow and he died when he was 25 25. that's crazy oh boy so there is so much so i ended up having to skip out of some things because some things didn't feel as relevant because this this guy had so much going on so yeah october 1993 
Tupac did a concert in Atlanta. Him and his entourage are driving to the hotel when they see two drunk white guys attacking a black motorist at an intersection. Tupac approaches the men, words are exchanged, things get heated, guns come out, and the white guys are shot and wounded. It turns out those two white guys also happen to be off-duty cops, uh, which they did not disclose at the time of the incident, so Tupac was arrested and charged with two counts of aggravated assault. Whoa. However, the case started falling apart. The cops, who were named Mark and Scott Whitwell, had said that Tupac shot first, but witnesses said it was the other way around. In the police report, the Whitwells wrote, quote, and they used the actual word, I will not because I refuse, N-words came by and did a drive-by shooting. In a legit police report, which is outrageous. And then, if things didn't, it weren't already on shaky ground, it came out that the guns that the Whitwells used had been previously seized from a drug bust and then stolen from an evidence locker of another police department. So for the Atlanta Police Department to save themselves the embarrassment, they dropped all charges against Tupac. (laughs) Yeah, I bet they did. However, now we're at a point where he's feeling kind of like he's God because... He got these charges taken away. He did nothing wrong in this situation. Um, He was trying to defend someone and he was trying to defend himself in the end. And so he did nothing wrong. But he came out of it like, look at these cops. They got in trouble. I didn't. So he's suddenly, now he's got nothing to lose. Well, shoot to November of that same year, 1993. So we're looking at like just a few weeks later. A 19-year-old named Ayanna Jackson was introduced to Tupac. She later claims that he pushed her head onto his penis while they were on a dance floor at a club. According to her court testimony and numerous witnesses, she essentially just blew him in front of everybody. And there was no forcing whatsoever. They go back to his hotel room and have consensual sex. Three days later, she goes to his hotel room, starts giving a massage, and then suddenly two of his friends enter the room, at which point their stories change. He says at that point he was like, screw this, I'm out. He was high and very drunk, so he went and passed out on the couch. His two friends remained in the room. He woke up to this girl screaming at him, how could you let them do this to me? She said, "You, this isn't the last you're going to hear of me. She went to the cops and said the three of them had raped her. The Tupac and two members of his entourage were charged with sexual abuse, sodomy, and illegal possession of a firearm. So we're going to keep that in mind while we move on to the next because we're going to come back to that one. Yeah. A year goes by. Now we're looking like November of 94. Around 11.30 p.m., Tupac and his friends are trying to go to Quad Studios, a recording studio that's around um, Times Square in New York. They buzz to come in. A few minutes later, the night manager realizes that they hadn't come up yet. 
So he checks the security cameras and he sees Tupac standing up against a wall talking to someone. So he's like, oh, okay, he's just taking his time. Let's it go. Well, what he didn't see on the cameras was that three men in army fatigues, one was outside and followed them in when they came in the building and two were waiting in the lobby, ordered them to the floor, but Tupac resisted. He was shot once in the arm, once in the thigh, once in the groin, and twice in the head. That is a total of five bullets that he took. The people got away with $40,000 worth of Tupac's gold chains and a ring. 911 was called, and the three cops who arrived were the same three who helped Ayana in the rape case and testified on her behalf. So at the time in this studio, up in one of the top floors, Notorious B.I.G., a.k.a. Biggie, and producer Sean Puffy Combs uh, were upstairs. Tupac's informants told him that Puffy knew about the ambush and didn't warn him. This makes Tupac paranoid. He starts thinking, they have it in for me. They didn't save me. There's no one I can trust. So this moment was kind of like the catalyst that made Tupac break with East Coast and kind of push him over more to West Coast. So despite having been shot multiple times, which because of being so paranoid and terrified for his own life, he decides to check himself out of the hospital less than 24 hours later to go stay with a friend's house. Who was the friend? Just for everybody's fun's sake, because this was shocking to me, Jasmine Guy. That's a random one. It is a random one. I loved A Different World, so I love that she's uh, coming in. Yeah. So uh, despite being in this condition, Tupac still had to go to court days later so he could get the verdict on the case from the year before. He was offered a mistrial because the prosecution had withheld so much evidence from the defense but he refused to accept it because he wanted to clear his name as he was adamant that he was innocent. There was no semen found. Uh, It seemed like there were no forcible entry anywhere, that kind of thing. So he just kind of ran with it. But to me, I read part of his, what he said to the judge and it felt very like he was standing up for himself, but he came off a little too cocky. The two other guys with him, one was sentenced to four months in jail One pled guilty to sexual misconduct and got probation. Tupac pleaded not guilty and received 18 months to four and a half years in jail. (laughs) So he gets taken to Rikers. He's there for a few weeks. He gets moved to a maximum security facility called Clinton Correctional Facility. At this time, he has the number one album. It's his third album that went platinum. And somewhere in all of this mess, it wasn't 100% clear, he met and married a woman named Keisha Morris. (laughs) So Tupac had Keisha reach out to the head of Death Row Records, who is Suge Knight. And Suge Knight had asked Tupac to join Death Row Records years before, but Tupac said no. But now Tupac's like, hey, If you can get me out of here, I'll go wherever you want me to go. So, Suge Knight 
<laughs> who we will get into. Uh, at this, so at this point, like Tupac's in jail. He is absolutely hating it. I don't know if anyone's ever loved prison, but like he was in a very violent <laughs> prison. He'd been in there for 11 months. He was just not happy. So he was also nervous. He didn't know who he could trust. He felt betrayed by the East Coast people. So he'd had no family. Death Row was offering him a family. Shug made a couple of visits to Tupac, eventually gave him a handwritten contract where he promised to release him in exchange for Tupac releasing three albums with Death Row Records. So between Shug and the label Interscope, they put up nearly $2 million and got Tupac released. He left prison October 95, and shortly after, Keisha fired for annulment. Okay, hold yeah. on. This is this is this is wild. Yes. So, how can you just raise money and get somebody out of jail? It, is it just that they paid for lawyers to to file appeals, or like how does that even work? I want to believe that's it, but I don't really know. They didn't get into it. It hmm. was just a that's lot so of interesting. They paid to get him out. So it's I yeah uh there's still a lot of questions that I have about what happens I also like how quickly he met somebody married her and then she's like ah I'm good and fired for an annulment like over a year later but he spent pretty much all of their marriage in prison right but you know sure was do you know if they had a prenup? I mean, now I'm just, like, that feels like... I kind of get the feeling that she just more than willingly bowed out at that point. I think huh. I think, I think, she was genuinely in it for the love. I wow. think she met him. There was a connection. There was something. And I know because I've seen photos and when I close my eyes, I still see his eyes. His eyes were very brown. One may say chestnut. Nope, Chrissy. <laughs> Okay, he was an attractive man. Blanche has got a Blanche, okay? <laughs> Blanches be blanching. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't help who I am. So I get it. She would be drawn to him. His eyelashes were so thick. I can't. Nope. <laughs> they were like a curtain. They were just, no. Uh, so I think she was drawn in. He was very charismatic. And then next thing you know, it was like, we're in love. What do you do when you're young and in love? Quickly get married. And then he goes to prison. And then suddenly it's just like, I'm sure after a year in prison, he was a different person because she didn't know him too much when they got married. So fair point. All right. So Suge Knight, Death Row, Interscope. They somehow get this money together and they somehow get him out of jail. Yeah. Okay. So prison rather, I should say, rather than jail. But anyway, Uh, So Suge Knight. He was born Marion Knight. His childhood nickname was Sugar Bear, which is where I'm assuming Shug came from. But according to my notes, Sugar Bear, he was not. (laughs) (laughs) Even in my notes, I cracked myself up, but also not funny, Christy. He was known for his violence and temper. For example, Shug, which I still feel like I'm not... I don't feel like I'm cool enough to be able to just get away with calling him Shug, but <laughs> I'm gonna anyway. Uh, so Shug wanted Dr. Dre on his death row label, but Dr. Dre was with Ruthless Records. So Shug confronts the head of Ruthless Records, who was Easy e 
I don't know if anyone remembers Give Me That Nut. I love that song. It was a very big uh, song at the bar here. He So he confronts Eazy-E with bats and pipes and threatens to harm Eazy-E's mother if he doesn't release Dr. Dre from his contract. Jesus. I'm not sure how true that story is, but Eazy-E did file a lawsuit against Suge claiming he was forced to sign a release under duress. <laughs> and Suge is not denying it. So Suge ruled Death Row with an iron fist. An artist known as Jewel, with two L's at the end, not the, my hands are small, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Why that song? Why was that my choice? Not that Jewel. Uh, But a woman claimed that she uh, had tried to leave Death Row and Suge pulled a gun on her. Vanilla Ice had an encounter with Suge and said he felt very threatened. Now, a quick aside about Vanilla Ice. I know you tend to be the one with the stories, but I'm going to say this. I met him once. I remember that. I was with a boyfriend at the time who, I'm assuming he isn't listening to this, but he wasn't the nicest. He was kind of just an idiot. But I'm in fairness, I dated him because he was six foot eight. <laughs> and I was young and like they grow them that tall. Like I had no idea. Sure. Yeah. And we found out that he was going to be in Regina, capital of Saskatchewan. And so we're like, well, we need to get tickets. We need to go to this show. And we went. And I think to this day, I might still have the towel that his drummer gave me and then awkwardly tried to sign... It didn't work out. Uh, I think I also got a drumstick, but that's not the point. So afterwards, they're like, well, we're all just going to hang out at this, like, I think like almost like an after club kind of thing downstairs. And so I'm like, this guy who worked at the event went around and was like pointed to all these girls and we're like, yeah, you can go, you can go. And he got to me and let's face it, I'm at a Vanilla Ice concert. Ah, the girls were out to play. So he looks at me and he's like, yeah, you go. And my dumb dumb boyfriend at the time who was way back far in the crowd was like I'm with her so he used me to get in so we get in we go downstairs and there he is now this I'm gonna say was probably like 2002 2003 ish sure and I who didn't love vanilla ice I had the vanilla ice rap game that had like a plastic yellow microphone that when you turned it on, it just did like the beatboxing. But I was so intimidated by the sound, I could never play. (laughs) So I loved Vanilla Ice, so I was here for it. So I'm like, here we go. And we go downstairs and he's sitting there and y'all, he looked the same as he did in the videos in the early 90s and my heart stopped and I didn't know what to say and I was like I'm dying and like he played some like newer songs that we were all like oh yeah and then he played like the classic stuff and we went wild and it was just such a great time but he's sitting there and I'm like oh my god I want to talk to him but I can't you can't you can't just go up and talk to Vanilla Ice well I was wrong my boyfriend which I will clarify again we did break up. We have not spoken since. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> so we go up to Vanilla Ice. 
He holds his hand out to me. I take his hand. We shake hands. <gasps> I'm like, that was such an amazing show. Such a huge fan. I was losing my mind. And then my idiot boyfriend comes up from behind, sticks his hand out to shake his hand and goes, it's really nice to meet you, Mr. Ice. <laughs> no, no. And that was my moment. I wanted to crawl inside myself. I'm like, how do you, Mr. How Ice. do you come back from that? I'm like, you know, that's not actually his name, right? Like his mother didn't name him Vanilla. Like, what are you doing? And like, he legit just thought that was how it is. And I'm like, oh, no. Well, oh. we broke up not long after. It was, it actually had nothing to do with that. But the point is, it if should it, have. It, but you know what? <laughs> <laughs> how did Rob Van Winkle handle that moment? Was was it like, did he look like, uh, or was it just kind of like he gets it all the time? That motherfucker was graceful as shit. He took his hand, shook it, and went, yeah, thanks, man. And, like, looked at me, and we shared a brief moment in that, like, split second of eye contact. I was like, that was Vanilla Ice telling me, what the fuck are you doing with this? <laughs> like, that was that was yeah. his moment of, like, are you kidding me? You're playing it cool, and you bring in this fucking idiot? And I was like, yeah. And so I should have break, broken up with him, but spoiler alert, he dumped me. Not the point. <laughs> Listen, we the journey that we're on yeah. makes no sense until we're off of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He, uh, his reason for dumping me, if since we're already yeah. sidetracked, yeah, he didn't like that a girl liked hockey. What? Because when he was in high school, he was bullied by the local like teenage hockey team. And so suddenly after like, I'm assuming it was three glorious months together, he suddenly decided, oh yeah, you liking hockey is a big deal to me. Oh, yeah. And so I'm like, I just did sure. like a, let me get this straight. So you're make you're saying I have to choose between you and the Philadelphia Flyers. And the answer is. I chose Philly. <laughs> of course I did. And I don't regret it. Although I'd like a Stanley Cup in my lifetime. <laughs> but again. Yeah. You know what? Since we're already off the Please. rails, very yes. quick moment of therapy talk. Yes. I actually think you avoided an abusive relationship. Oh. And I'm going to tell you yes. why. I think he was trying to exert. Because something that like emotional and mental abusers will do yeah you know there's there's the obvious things they'll try and alienate you and isolate you from your family your friends all of the above but they can also try sorry my cat which made a crazy noise they can also try to uh control the things that you like and that it's like you have to like what I like you have to do what I do we have to do the same things and I think it was a test in the fact that you like pushed back and you were like yeah, okay, I'm I'm fine, bye. I think you really dodged a bullet. So I think at the end of the day, he didn't dump you. You got out of there. And I love that my take from all of this, Vanilla Ice saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So if you're listening, Mr. Oh, Ice, okay. thank you. Just know that wasn't my idea. I don't even have to say it. I saw it in the brief look he gave me. They shook hands. Yeah. He looked at me and gave me just that brief, like, really? And it was like, yeah, that should have been my moment to look at it. But you're right. He was testing the waters. Yep. And I dipped a toe in and went, not for me. If you had said, okay, I'll I'll not watch hockey anymore, then he would have been like, okay, if I can get her to do that, then what, what else, else can I get her to do? What's next on the chopping block? And what else can I control? Suddenly I'm not able to listen to Vanilla Ice anymore. Well, suddenly it's going to be a problem that you even wanted to go to the concert. It becomes, mm. it's a domino effect, trust yeah. me. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense to me. See, you are good at this i've just gone through a lot of therapy (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know but you learn you you live and you learn but see that's the thing this shows that you're not you're an active participant in the therapy yes because while you do uh while you are there listening and participating you're also like absorbing and you're like how can i put this to use later on which is yeah. a real gift. That takes time too. That takes time. Yeah. It took like it took time for that. Like there was time where it was like I'm not doing that. I w- I've never done that. And then you know you get to a point where you're like, "Oh, I've done that. I'm still doing that." Stop. Just stop. Yeah. You just get to a point where you're just tired and then you're like, "I have to just accept that I I have to take this help." <laughs> I And that's and that's the beautiful that's when the that's when the rebirth happens, man, yeah. you know? I really would love to see you in a therapist position. Oh, yeah. Because I'd love that. I think you would knock it out of the park. Can we change mm-hmm. the judge show to some <gasps> sort of therapist and maybe instead of a bailiff but still pajama pants, I can be like I can be like the secretary. I offer them a water when they come in. I take notes. I kind of leave your phone, uh, the phone on my desk, on to your line so I can hear everything without them knowing. And then the joke is me trying to play cool like I don't know what that dude just said in therapy. And then I will be stripped of my credentials that I don't have. Well, I mean, if it's a show. That's true. What if it's group therapy? So then you're allowed to be in the room. Oh, my God. And we have somebody... Who has yeah. like experience and we have somebody who doesn't. So you're going to get like the really like smart, like I'd love to see you in a nice glasses where you oh, can yeah. like adjust them every once in a while, a nice sort of power suit and you you're taking notes and you're very great about it. And then you guys are having a very serious conversation. And then this a-hole leans in chomping on her Cheetos and is like, whoa, 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 whoa. So Mark. What the fuck did you say to your wife? Like, <laughs> and, and then I'll be like, excuse Christy, she's a therapist in training. She's interning. And I've asked you not to eat Cheetos in the session. I'm going to need to add a robe to this ensemble. <laughs> because the shirt and tie no longer works, right? If I'm therapist but if i'm a therapist in training but i'm gonna need that robe and just like i just 
his like the patient's awkward glances over to me with like a uh and you just being like yeah it's a safe space and i'm just like yeah mark spill the fucking tea you know like that's <laughs> yeah i am just gonna keep pitching shows I love it. Yeah. I like the idea of Christy, Christy Oxborough, confused therapist. Like, I would watch that show where you're just like, wait a minute, what? Like, why would you do that? And then at yeah. the end, I come in and I'm like, here's the reason why Mark's fighting with his wife. He doesn't feel like he's being heard. And at the end of the day, that connects to his relationship that he had with his father and his father never being home. His father was a traveling salesman. He spent a lot of time on the road and that was before cell phones. So they only got to talk once a week. You know, he needs that, comp- that, that that constant communication with Monica. And I just think that if Monica knew that, maybe they'd be able to reconnect. And then you cry, and then the credits roll. <laughs> the joke is, I thought every episode would end with me on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, you've got your, fol- your uh, file folder situation, all of the different cases, and I'm an entire drawer of... <laughs> My file is so big. Yeah. Where it's just like, he leaves, Mark gets up, he leaves, and I immediately just get up, shuffle over to the couch, and lay down and go, all right, so where were we? And you'd be like, ah, rat, fountain, I don't know, pick one. (laughs) Like, I don't know why I'm suddenly like the... The bum that's just sitting there in my robe that's going to be covered in Cheeto dust. And like, <laughs> let's, let's be honest, the entire room will be covered in the Cheeto dust. <laughs> you could use it to dust for prints. It's going to be everywhere. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. I just keep wanting to make shows. You're a, you're a producer at heart. It's, a creator, a producer, yeah. a writer. I love it. We just need to get some producers listening to this that are like, one of these days, she's going to hit on one. Oh, one yeah. One day she's going to get to one where people are like, okay, we can handle her walking around in, you know, a robe eating Cheetos, yelling at a guy who's just trying to make his mental health better. I'm worried about him. Yeah. yeah. Listen, speaking of producers, music producers, Suge Knight, he intimidated Vanilla Ice. <laughs> That's where we left off. It is. He also, some guys went in to use a phone at Death Row Records. The phone was specifically meant for Suge alone. They did not know that. They used the phone, as you do, and he pistol whipped them and went to jail. (laughs) Oh my God. Jeez. Keep in mind, for those who don't know, Suge Knight is like six foot four, 300 pounds. So he is not a small person he is a very intimidating presence already and then you bring in anger and it's a lot so you got speaking of people i need to get on my couch you know what i mean i need to talk about that childhood that's what we need to dig into sugar bear what happened what turned you from sugar bear to suge you know what i mean there's a story there yeah i wonder if we could get him on the show is he still alive? I'm fairly certain he's in prison. <laughs> you, you know what? I'm going to go on a limb and say he should be. Uh, there is a point he was. We'll, I mean, we'll get into his more current life. But um, of course, at the time, Suge Knight 
is the head of Death Row Records, and they're in California. And then on the other coast, you got Puffy, who is head of Bad Boy Records in New York. Right. So, as you may recall from not long ago, I mentioned that Tupac was shot and robbed at Quad Studios in New York in 94. Well, four months later, Biggie, who was a member of Bad Boy Records, released a song called Who Shot Ya? Oh. He claims it wasn't anything about Tupac, but everybody who's heard it, including Tupac, was like, yeah, it was. So at this point, Tupac is just, he wants nothing to do with anybody over there. He's over it. East Coast, West Coast is becoming such a huge rivalry. So August 95, there's uh, an awards call, a award ceremony, the Source Awards. Suge gets some sort of award. I think one of his albums or something, I should have looked further into that, wins. But anyway, he gets up on stage and he starts going off and he says... Any artist out there who wants to be an artist and stay a star and don't want to have to worry about the executive producer trying to be in all the videos and all the records and dancing, come to death row. Well, that was a huge slam at Puffy because let's face it, Puffy puts his ass in everything. So people like this award show happened in New York. It was on Puff's territory. I don't know why he suddenly puffed to me. He was on Puffy's territory. He was... Puffy was in the audience, so half the audience booed at this point. Less than two weeks after this event, Puffy and Suge just happened to be in the same nightclub in Atlanta. A confrontation happens between their entourages, and as Suge leaves, his best friend and bodyguard, Jake Robles, is shot and killed. No one conveniently saw what happened, but Suge blames Puff's security guard, Anthony wolf jones i have said this to you in private and i'll say it now i was in love with mob nicknames when we did lady in the lake but i think a very close second or possibly a tie is rap nicknames like i find it fascinating puffy like puffy is a thing that you want people to call you? I mean, I do realize in the later years, he changed to P. Diddy. And then I think he went to just Diddy. I don't yeah. even know. The point is, I find some rap nicknames so amazing. And they're not just rap nicknames. It's like gang nicknames because like this guy's nickname is Wolf. It's like, oh, okay. But everybody who was there says it was absolutely Puffy's security guard. So at this point, everyone's like, this is... You're either East Coast or you're West Coast. You can't be both. Right. So then uh, Tupac's album, All Eyes on Me, uh, drops. It's the first album he did for Death Row. It's his fourth album overall. It sold like 560 some thousand in the first week and is the first double album in hip hop history. Oh, which wow. I thought was I uh, which I, th- I thought was fun. Yeah. And then a few months later... Tupac comes out with a song called Hit Em Up. In the song, uh, Tupac brags about sleeping with Biggie's wife and threatens to kill members of Bad Boy Records, including Puffy, 
Biggie and Lil Kim, to which I say, leave her alone. What did Lil Kim have to do with anything? Yeah. You know? But again, I love uh, Ladies Night, I believe she was in. There was a song. Mm -hmm. I think that was it. But uh, she's just so tiny and cute. Come on. So in the video for Hit 'Em Up, there was an actor who, of course, looks and dresses just like Biggie. This song is known as one of the most infamous diss tracks in rap history. It solidified the East versus West rivalry. This was his retaliation. Biggie's wife at the time, Faith Evans, was featured on a song on the All Eyes on Me album. So it's obvious that they met, but she also has come out in the later years and was like, we recorded it later. There's nothing that ever happened between us. I didn't know that Tupac was with Death Row. I didn't know there was a beef with him and Biggie. And it's like, how the fuck did you not know that? That was like huge news. But then it came out. She's saying like, oh, they recorded it like months later. And it's like, but it's clear knowledge that he recorded it a very specific like week in October. So it's like, it's obvious that's when you recorded it. And people were like, oh, she would... She would like disguise herself and like sneak over to his place. So it's like, who knows what happened? Oh, Biggie boy. had his side things as well. But one thing I read that made me kind of burst out laughing just in the way they worded it was like, well, if Tupac or if Biggie was like upset about the thought of Tupac and his wife sleeping together, he'd be super pissed if he found out that Tupac was actually sleeping with Biggie's girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently he was. Oh, dear. Um, Well, listen, on that note, I think we need to just take a very quick break. Oh, how this tangled web weaves. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait to hear more about Tupac, Biggie, the East Coast, the West Coast, (laughs) all of the above. Lots more to come on the second half of this episode of True Crime and Cocktails, famous Fatalities Edition. What's up, everybody? This is Lauren Ash, and I hope you're enjoying this episode of True Crime and Cocktails, famous Fatalities Edition. A couple of quick reminders. If you're looking for any of the visuals Christy mentions in this or any of our episodes of the podcast, make sure to follow us at True Crime and Cocktails on Instagram. There she posts a case file with all the relevant visuals for each episode of the show. If that's not enough for you, you want a little bit more, go to our website, truecrimeandcocktails.com. There, Christy posts extensive virtual case files. This is literally everything she finds in her research it's a treasure trove of deep dives and it's all there for your enjoyment also on the website you can find our full unedited zoom episodes of the show if you'd like to watch rather than listen and make sure to give us a follow on facebook at true crime and cocktails twitter at not detectives and the most important piece of information if you like the show please wherever you listen to it give us a nice rating go on to apple leave us a nice review i know it sounds like a silly cliche but the truth is it really goes a long way in this crazy podcast world and your support means the world to us but enough about all that get yourself another drink sit back and enjoy the rest of the show All right, everyone, we are back on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails, Famous Fatalities Edition. Of course, we are talking about the death of Tupac Shakur. We left off talking, of course, about the 
the heated rivalry between the East Coast and West Coast rappers that was going on at this time. Where are we going next on this wild ride? Well, I'm going to say to anybody that's listening that's like, you know what? I don't want all of this backstory on the stuff that's going on. Well, trust me, it all plays a part. There's a, Christy has a method to her madness. I trust you. I don't like when I refer to myself in the third person, but maybe that's when Brandy's speaking. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's, it's Brandy coming through you. It's like your other personality. (laughs) Get on the couch. Now I, now I feel like medium or something. (laughs) That's another show entirely. Um, Yeah. Which I can't wait to pitch. Yeah. It's going to be good. Talks to ghosts. Yeah. Right. Uh, So we have our East Coast, West Coast rivalry. While we're also speaking rivalries, we're going to say some words that I never thought I was going to say in my lifetime. And we're going to talk the Bloods and the Crips. Great. Gangs. We're talking about gangs. We're going to go. We're going to go gangs. So Compton. Yep is approximately 10.2 square miles. And in Compton, there are 55 gangs. (laughs) Wow, I never knew that. Yeah, so there are a lot of gangs. We're only going to focus on two. We're focusing on the Southside Crips and Mob Peru, who were named after a, I guess it's more Piru, sorry, after a street in Compton. They're essentially the Bloods. Okay. They started as Mob Piru, but then they ended up uh, becoming the Bloods. Some people refer to them as both. So Suge Knight was associated with the Bloods. Tupac wasn't specifically gang-related at all, but because he associated with Suge, in Compton, you choose a side. You go with Suge, obviously that's where your allegiance lies. Okay. And also some Mob Piru members worked as security for Death Row Records. So April 1996, a Mob Piru named Trayvon Lane, he's at Lakewood Center Mall in front of a footlocker. He's wearing a Death Row medallion, which I will post a picture of. I've seen multiple pictures. It's hard to get one, a good one. You, you know, especially the rap guys like the bling. And Suge Knight had these fully, like, diamond-encrusted Death Row records logo medallions made that he gave to his closest friends. So he had given one to this Trayvon Lane. So... He's at the mall, and a group of Crips, including a guy named Orlando Anderson, they beat Trayvon down and took the medallion. This chain is a symbol of pride. Taking it is a symbol of disrespect. Right. An informant claims that Puffy ordered or offered $5,000 to anyone who would steal a death row medallion. Interesting. So now, this, without them realizing it, this was essentially the catalyst to Tupac's death. So this happened, what I say, April? April of 96. We scoot to September 1996, so we're just looking a few months later. 
Tupac and Suge attend the fight between Mike Tyson and Bruce Seldon at the MGM Grand in Vegas. Yeah. They're sitting ringside. They've got $1,000 seats. Tyson came out to a song that Tupac wrote specifically for him. At the time, he was like one of the number one artists at the time. So he was just having his best day, right? Yeah. So Tyson knocked out Seldon in one minute and 49 seconds. To show how short that is for a for a match, the national anthem lasted 41 seconds longer than the actual fight. Whoa. Oh, that's wild. So after the fight, Tupac is close friends with uh, Mike Tyson, so he was already jazzed at this point. So after the fight, Tupac and his entourage, including Trayvon Lane, are walking through the MGM lobby when Trayvon tells Tupac he sees Orlando Anderson that punk who jumped him and stole his medallion months before. Tupac flies in a rage and immediately starts beating on Orlando, Suge, and all the rest of the entourage come and join in. The entire fight, which only lasted 12 seconds, is caught on MGM surveillance cameras. Oh, wow. Tupac and his crew immediately leave before cops are going to get involved they head to the Luxor Hotel, which is where they always stayed when they came to town. Hmm. So Tupac at the time is dating a girl named Kadada Jones. She would be the sister of Rashida Jones and the daughter of Quincy Jones. Of course. There is a whole thing about her that I don't even want to get into, but I probably will at some point. Tupac had said some not nice things about Quincy in the press mainly focusing on he doesn't understand why Quincy keeps going with white women. He didn't understand mixed racial children, like that kind of thing. So Rashida Jones was not having it. So she wrote a letter and sent it into the magazine that his article was published in to be like, okay, so I'm one of those kids and just basically telling him what an asshole he was. Months later, He thinks he sees her at a club, approaches her to apologize because he realizes his he was being an asshole. And it turns out it wasn't Rashida. It was her sister, Kadada. They dated. They were dating at the time of his death, but they apparently had only been dating for like three, maybe four months at the most. Okay. If you ask her or anyone that she has that anyone that has interviewed her, she says they were engaged. When they when he died. Right. If you ask anyone who knew him, they knew nothing about that. They barely knew her. All of this. Interesting. She also gave an interview. Apparently I'm getting into her shit now. She gave an interview once that was like, after he died, I couldn't leave my house for nine months. I couldn't talk to anybody. I couldn't do anything. I was so depressed. He was the love of my life. Well... Then why is there footage of her five months after his death dancing at a party with Puffy? (gasps) Shut up. Uh Uh-huh. She also got a Tupac tattoo on her shoulder, which she has since covered with flowers. So I just feel somebody who you were like, that's the love of my life. You get a tattoo in memory of them. You're never going to cover it. 
So it's crazy. There was also, and I'm barely hitting on this because I didn't bother looking into it further. There was also talk of from some of Tupac's people uh, who were around the hospital at the time after he was shot, who said that Kadada told Tupac's mother that she was pregnant with his baby. She was not. Wow. But like, I don't know what's going on there, but... I feel like I need to look into this woman some more. Now, she would have been very young at this time, right? Um, Yeah, she was like early 20s, I think. So like, who knows? I mean, I get it. You're early 20s, you meet somebody and suddenly it's like, well, that's the love of my life. But it's, there's just so many layers to it. But yeah, I don't know. So she is in Vegas at the time. They go to the fight. They end up having this scuffle at the lobby. They go back to the hotel and he tells her, I want you to stay in the hotel. Things might get a little real out there. I just, I'm worried about your safety. I want you to stay here. Tupac and Shug and the entourage were all headed to Club 662. There was going to be a charity event and Tupac was going to perform there. She was worried about his safety. She said, if you're going to go wear a bulletproof vest to which he said, oh, it's too hot for that. Well, so they go to Shug's house to hang out for a bit and change. Then they go on to Club 662. Death Row head of security, Reggie Wright Jr., told the security that they weren't allowed guns at the club, so their weapons would be waiting for them in vehicles outside in the parking lot. So now they're headed to the club. They're going down the Vegas Strip. For some reason, they didn't let, they, one vehicle, there was about six in this caravan. One vehicle was Shug and Tupac, and that's it. The fact that the two of them were in a vehicle together is insane, safety-wise. The fact that they did not have a bodyguard of any kind, or that their bodyguards weren't even, had no sort of weapon of any kind, is also a terrible choice. Yeah. So, and they also weren't trying to hide who they were. They're driving down the strip. They're in a good mood. The adrenaline's going from being in that fight. They're cranking the music so loud that a bicycle cop pulls them over to give them a ticket. While they're pulled over, a fan is standing on the sidewalk, looks over and goes, oh, hey, it's Tupac, and takes a picture. And that is the last known photo of Tupac. Oh, wow. Which is crazy. Yeah. I do have it. I will post it. Uh, so while they're stopped, this car of women, I believe there were four of them, sees that it's Tupac and Shug and they start shouting to them. And the guys, of course, being who they are, looked at these women and were like, hey, we're heading to this place. You should come with us. The girls were like, hell yeah, we will. And so the girls kind of pull up alongside them, but then they're like, you know what? We know where we're going. We're going to turn right down this other street and we'll meet them there. So the girls pull up with the intention of turning right. And as they pull up, a white Cadillac pulls up behind them so that that car is now right beside Tupac and Shook. A black glove is seen leaning out of the back driver's side window of the Cadillac and 10 to 15 shots are heard. Tupac's main security guy, Frank Alexander, 
was in the car behind them, Tupac had given Frank the keys to Kadada's car and asked him to drive the members of the group, the outlaws. So at this point, you've got Tupac's head of security or Tupac's main security guy who's not in a vehicle with Tupac, who has no weapon, and he had just come back from vacation when, while he was gone, he gave his radio to another guy who had not returned it, so he had no radio. So 10 to 15 shots are heard. Jeez. People who were around there said it felt like it went forever. It was loud and it just was just kept going. After the shots, this car quickly turns and does a right. It does it so fast it almost goes right into the car these women are driving as they're turning. But because the shots were heard, people in a car further back in their caravan was like, holy shit, go after them. But they also don't have weapons. So they chase after this car. This car shoots at them. And they're like, you know what? We get it. They back off. That car takes off. We don't see it again. This person, he had, uh, he got pulled over for something and they noted the bullets, the bullet entries in his car. So I feel like it backs up the story. But the fact that there was a, that there was a second shooting just like a minute later, in that same area I hadn't heard anybody mention before. Right. Nobody got hurt in that one, but still. Right. So the shots ring out. Suge is just immediately in shock. Uh, some of the glass from the windshield hit his head and he it cut him really deep. So he has blood pouring out of his head and Tupac's not really responding. So he instinct was like, I've got to get him to a hospital. So he immediately pulls a U-turn, but hits the median in such a way that two of his tires get damaged and the car just ends up like feet from where they were to begin with. So police try to get everybody's statements, but nobody will, nobody wants to cooperate. Suge goes to the police station three days later, brings three lawyers with him and refuses to talk. Suge says he knows who did it, but he's not going to tell police. What? So this to me is very like, he knows who did it. It's somebody that he has some sort of rivalry with and he's going to handle it on his own is kind of how I took that to be. Right, right. So one of the members of security guard named Michael Moore had his radio at the time. He was sitting at Club 662 waiting for Tupac and everyone to show up. And he claims over the radio around the time the shots were heard that he heard somebody say, got him. Followed by someone saying, don't say nothing on the radio. Oh. And it's only his team that are using the radio. So then this is, this guy's kind of implying it's potentially somebody within their own team. This all went down September 7th, September 13th. Tupac succumbs to his injuries and is officially pronounced dead. So, don't worry, folks. This continues well, to I just, not stop. I just have to say really quickly that yeah. I was trying not to laugh for that last little bit because you said his other security man named Michael Moore, and I was just picturing Bowling for Columbine director Michael Moore sitting in that club <laughs> getting that radio call. <laughs> 
and it just tickled me. It was just like the idea that his side hustle is uh, doing security for Tupac in the 90s. With, it, uh, it just was funny in my own brain. Again, I'm I'm work from work tonight, so good luck to you. Uh, anyway. S- sitting at the club in his robe with his Cheetos. <laughs> yeah, fairly accurate. Okay, so yeah. this is wild. All right, so he yeah. claims he heard that on the radio. Tupac yeah. died in hospital six days later. Yeah. My God. All right. Well, let's keep trucking through. What's next? Yeah. Yeah. There, just when you think there's not a lot, there, there's still some beasts to come. Yeah. And yeah, I'm playing it really fucking cool because I have something that has me screaming. I can't but wait. But I feel like, I feel like I'm not projecting that. I'm projecting a lot of heat. You seem very cool. Very, very cool. I, I never would have known. You seem all business. Well, like you seem like you're like I got to get through this. Like I've got a lot to get through. I, I yeah. that's what I feel. And then and then yet you oh. are flushing, but that also I'm just flushing feels like doot, doot, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it Brandy's just like giving you a wave, letting you know like yeah, She's just like, so you know. I'm here too. <laughs> she seems cool and collected, but inside she's a maniac. <laughs> so that's where we're at. I love it. So Six months after Tupac's death, Biggie, who we have spoken about before, yes, also dies in an unsolved shooting in March of 1997. Years go by, and a huge task force is put together that includes like Compton PD, FBI, all in an attempt to solve Biggie's murder. Apparently, Biggie, it it came out that they thought maybe a cop could be involved. And so Biggie's mother sued the state and they decided we're going to make this task force. We're going to get this solved basically to prove that she doesn't need to sue us because it wasn't us. So in doing this task force about Biggie's murder, in comes a man with the name Dwayne Keefy D. Davis. Now, Keefy D. is the leader of the Southside Crips and the uncle to Orlando Anderson. My, my. Uh-huh. He was interviewed by cops in 1997, but he lawyered up. He was interviewed again in 1998 And he said he knows Orlando was upset over the fight at the MGM, but he warned him not to retaliate. Then he claims, well, maybe Orlando was planted in the lobby in an attempt to aggravate Tupac. Who planted him there? I don't know. Maybe it was Suge. And let it go. Now, knowing that Keefe clearly knows more than he's saying, the task force sets up a massive sting operation. And I'm talking, this thing took years. And they it, in, it had wiretaps and informants, and the sole purpose was to get one of Keefe's drug couriers to turn on him. And they did, and they got enough evidence that they brought him in in like 2008, and were like, okay, here's the deal. We know you know something about Biggie's death. We have all of this information on you. You could go to prison for life. If you tell us about Biggie, the other stuff isn't so bad. So 
he had a good re he had a big motive to finally say what he did right however so people are immediately discrediting everything he said because they're like it was either that or prison and it's like however some of his facts i find are very interesting so they go to interview him and they're like okay we want to talk he was at the party that Biggie was at when Biggie left and got shot. So they're like, you were there. Like, what do you know about that night? And his quote was, that wasn't us. To which the cops go, okay, then what was? And he goes, oh yeah, that whole interview I did a decade ago, that was bullshit. So all this whole, like, I tried to calm Orlando down. I'll bet it was Suge, all of that. He's like, yeah. I'll admit it. That was bullshit. So his newer confession, he says that he met Puffy through a drug dealer acquaintance named Eric Zip Martin. Uh, Puffy told Keefe and Zip that he'd give anything for those dudes' heads. At a meeting months later, Puffy said, seriously, I need to get rid of these guys. And offered them a million dollars to do it. To which Keefe responds, I would have done it for 50. Wow. Which is pretty big disparity there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I just love his boldness of like, I'm going to admit to the cops, I would have done it for less. (laughs) So I find that interesting. Yeah. So Puffy, of course, denies any involvement in Tupac's death. Uh, Anytime you mention it, he just says, I don't talk about nonsense. And it's like, or just say no, Puffy, but okay. Yeah. So Puffy also denies any involvement with the Southside Crips. However, it's common knowledge in the rap community that when Puffy is on the West Coast, he uses Crips as security because he got to a point where he was terrified of Suge. And so he would call people out on the West Coast and be like, can, is it safe to come out now? And they'd be like, we've got you. It's fine. You can come out. Puffy's own bodyguard, Eugene Deal, admits that when they roll in Vegas, they usually have 30 to 50 Crips with, from Compton with them. 30 so to his, 50? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So he's, everybody is like, oh, they're, they're in the life. Um, right. So Keefe had previously told police that he tried to calm his nephew Orlando down after the scuffle at MGM. Now he's saying he wanted to retaliate. Keefe and his crew get in a rented white Cadillac, which was rented by the driver's mother-in-law. And I was told they always, always, especially if they're planning something to go down, they always use a -a rent-a-car because any evidence they find in the car, they can't pin it on you specifically. It's a rent-a-car. Right. To which I did, uh, well, that's smart. <laughs> <laughs> Again. So the driver was Terrence T. Brown Brown, which again feels like one of the more lame rap names when your name is Terrence Brown, but your mean name is T. Brown. It's like, oh, Okay. <laughs> so T. Brown is driving. Keefe D's in the passenger seat. DeAndre Smith, known as Dre, is 
in the back passenger or is in the back driver and with him is Orlando Baby Lane Anderson. So they go to Club 662. They're waiting for Tupac. They want to jump him when he gets there. But they start getting tired of waiting. So they start driving around. But all the vehicles in the caravan are very similar make and models. So they can't see. They're also driving up and down this strip looking for them. They can't see them. And then they see a car full of girls screaming, Tupac, Tupac, Shug, oh my God. And so they do a U-turn and pull up behind this car of women. He tells it very similar to how the women told it. He said they pulled up behind the girls. Keefe was on the wrong side. Uh, He didn't want to have to lean over the driver. So he passed the gun to Dre, who was in the back. Dre said, no, I don't want to touch it. Orlando was like, give me that. I got this. So Orlando took the gun and leaned across Dre and shot at uh, Tupac. Keefe says in the moment of the shooting, he made eye contact with Suge. They've known each other since childhood. So in that moment, I was like, I'll bet out of shock, you hear the sound, you look where it's coming from. He makes eye contact because they're right beside each other. And I can't help but wonder if that's true, you know, deep down, he's like, well, I know who did it. Right. And I'll take care of it myself because them going to prison means nothing to me. I want them dead kind of thing. So uh, Keefe confirms that after the shooting, one of the cars followed them and they shot at it. They were followed by Suge's main enforcer, Alton Buntry McDonald. He's the one whose car had bullet holes in it. Uh, So Keefe's crew gets away. They park their car at a parking garage near the carriage house. They go drink and smoke weed at the hotel. The next day, they take any bullet casings out of the car and then just simply drive back to Compton, where Orlando brags to anyone and everyone who will hear him that he shot Tupac. Keefe claims that Puffy called him and said, Was that you? And that he was happy as hell. Keefe also claimed he was never paid, which is why he was finally willing to admit all of this to the cops. Rumor has it that Bad Boy Records owed the Crips a million dollars for concert security, although some say it wasn't for concert security, it was what they owed for the hit on Tupac. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, we're getting to the stuff that's ultra-highlighted and starred. <laughs> so we're getting, we're getting to the part that I was just like, why is nobody talking about this? Yeah. And I guess they are in the numerous documentaries that exist about... I just hadn't paid enough attention, I guess. Sure. So after Tupac's death, like at the point of when he died, early 90s in California was just full of massive tension, especially amongst um, African-American males and the police, essentially. March 91 was the Rodney King incident. April, May 92 were LA riots. October 95 was OJ Simpson's not guilty verdict. October 96, there was a police raid that involved 300 officers from 10 agencies that had 40 location search warrants. So the month, like it's so at this point, things are already tense, 
and then you go and kill one of the most beloved rap artists of the time. So people were, especially like in and around Compton, were losing their minds. Right. So the Monday after Tupac's death, which is less than 48 hours later, the first retaliation happened. 11 attempted murders and three murders occurred in 11 days in Compton. Wow. There were so far 26 other deaths somehow trickle back and connect to Tupac's death. Whoa. Including Notorious B.I.G., which we will get into someday because there is a whole other stuff and there's definitely a connection here. It can't be a coincidence that they both happen to be gunned down. Right. And they're like rivals, whatever. Death Row security members Michael Moore and Frank Alexander both died under mysterious circumstances in 2013. Huh. In uh, May of 1998, Orlando Anderson and a friend got into a confrontation at a car wash with two other guys over a debt. A shooting breaks out and the three of them, oh, and three of them, including Orlando Anderson, are killed. The fourth man, Orlando's friend, Michael Lil Owl Doro, is then just convicted of all three murders and currently serving life in prison. Which I love that like four of them are having like a shootout. Three of them die and they were just like, yeah, I guess he's guilty enough of all of them. Oh God. Which is again, we're going back to the prison system, yeah. you know? Yeah. Going back to Biggie's murder and the task force that is currently running at this point in our story. There's a man by the name of Corey Edwards. He's a friend of Orlando's and was at the bar in Vegas when Orlando got beat down by Tupac. Corey claims that Orlando wanted revenge and that Corey had suggested just wait till we go back to Compton. Corey says uh, they waited for Tupac at Club 662. After an hour, they got bored, left for the hotel, but Orlando got in a car with some other guys to go looking for Tupac. The day after Orlando died, a gun was found in the backyard of Corey Edwards' girlfriend. The gun, I don't know how it was taken to police, but it was taken in uh, to evidence and tested, and the Compton PD verified it was the gun that killed Tupac Shakur. Shut up! I said that same thing but less politely. (laughs) So, but Vegas had the jurisdiction over the Tupac case because that's where it happened. Right. So Compton PD sent the gun to Vegas, who then went, oh yeah, sorry, that's not the same gun. When asked later, Vegas claims they never received it at all. What? A confidential memo surfaced where the LAPD mentioned the gun and said, quote, don't say anything to Vegas. No word whether it's a legit document, but nowhere, no one has denied its authenticity. At the time of Tupac's death, Vegas was trying to brand itself as a family 
adventure vacation spot. Yes. They were trying to make themselves like the new Disneyland. Mm-hmm. The last thing they wanted was a huge murder trial with a bunch of gang members that are coming in. Uh, they didn't want anyone wrecking this image that they were trying so hard to get. And so Vegas PD did not want a murder trial. We have officers who are like, I for sure sent that gun to them. And officers on the other side who are going, oh, we never got it. So I have a lot of thoughts on that. I also liked the thought that the gun wasn't buried in any way. It was just like tossed in this backyard to the point where someone found it because a dog had picked it up and brought it to them because it found it just laying in the yard. And it's like the day after Orlando dies, a we- the weapon used to kill Tupac just happens to appear in Orlando's best friend's backyard, girlfriend's backyard. What are the odds of that? So then it's like, did did Orlando do it? And now they're like, well, now that he's dead, we can get rid of this. And then they can be like, great. It's obviously, this is the gun. It was probably him. He's dead. We let it go. Or uh-huh. did this Corey character do it and now mm-hmm. has the perfect story to pin on his buddy Orlando because he's dead? I can confirm that Corey was in Vegas at the time of the shooting. I believe, and I don't have this written down in my notes right here, but I believe, and it'll go in like the virtual case file. Yeah. On truecrimeandcocktails.com. Check it out. I believe I have the receipt from his hotel and of him staying the one night. And yes, I know it was a Tyson fight in the early 90s like that was probably the exciting thing to do it's not far to go from like an LA to Vegas for a weekend so to go for an overnight for the fight sure everybody was there but it's like but the odds of this well yeah and also it's such a convenient story now I know that this is also like Keefe D's story is that it was this Orlando character so I guess that is two people corroborating but it is interesting to me that Corey is like yeah, Orlando and I were together all night. We went to yeah. Club 662, waited, and then I was out. And he went on. He went and got in a car with some guys and went and killed Tupac. It's like, that's not how these things normally go. You don't normally split up. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I also find it interesting since I I believe that it went down very similar to what Keefe D says but I think Keefe D put the gun in Orlando's hand because Orlando's dead now. So case closed. Right. So I think potentially that or that Keefe D is protecting someone who is not dead. Whether it was this Dre kid who cl- he claims said no. Whether it was maybe instead of Dre in the car, maybe it was Corey Edwards. I don't know. I also find it hard to believe Dre was a larger gentleman and Orlando Jones was had to lean completely over him to get his hand outside the window. Mm. I don't know how easily that could have been done, but I like that we're talking about this because this is going to bring us right to the theories. And I know that people are like, but wait, there is still like, this is still like early in the episode to get to theories. 
these are gonna take a while so <laughs> and listen it ain't that early <laughs> <laughs> the joke is this would have been late for us already well, yeah normally our episodes back in are day. over by now so <laughs> but in tw- not in 2021 not in 2021, 2021 we're like we see two hours and we won't stop till we pass it yeah. apparently yeah yeah, we go we go until we go. We go until yeah. we go until we go. We go where the case takes us. Yep. Carry on. Oh, my wayward son. Thank no. you. Thank you. I'm not over it. I'm still mad. Nobody is. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So number one theory, which I have to address because you cannot talk about Pac and now he's become Pac. Mm-hmm. 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 You can't talk Pac without talking. Is he still alive? Yes. I don't know how this started. I've seen many, many photos that people have posted over the years that they're like, look at this guy. It's very clearly Tupac. Well, there is one guy uh, who seems to be in a bunch of photos in and around New York who very obviously dresses like him and got the same like piercing as he did. But he has none of Tupac's tattoos. And the eyelashes aren't the same because I know I've looked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a weird thing to say. So, no, I don't believe he's still alive. There is a guy who claims he helped Tupac escape to Cuba to just go live out the rest of his life. Right. Numerous people over the years. In 2012... Kim Kardashian posted a picture of a man that she thought was Tupac working at the airport. <laughs> huh. I, I desperately want to believe that she was kidding. And she could have been. She could have been. But it's like, I don't think he faked his death to go work at LAX, you know? <laughs> like, I... That feels I just implausible. I don't think so. Yeah. If he was going to fake his death, yeah, go with the Cuba story. He would have gone somewhere, whatever. But he loved his mother and mm-hmm. he left her behind. And he was, according to Kadada, he was engaged to her at the time and he left her behind. So I don't truly believe that he faked his death. Yeah. So I'm so sorry to all the Pac fans out there, but I don't believe he's still alive. I also think, you know, the concept of faking one's death, while not completely impossible, I don't think yeah. happens all that often. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. People might come for me about that, but but it is, I mean, it's quite a feat to actually pull off, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Like, a few years ago, I'm going to say within the last five to ten years, I think, um, again, names I never expect to say on this. Olivia Newton-John Hello. was dating a gentleman. He got on a boat and was lost at sea. And she was devastated for years. And it was a whole thing. And she had to, like, regroup. And years later, it comes out, he was just trying to skip out on some debt. <laughs> he was found, like in Mexico or something, living a whole new life. And again, I think that you can do that. But I just yeah. think he would have turned up by now, don't you think? 25 years later? Yes, because 
he was he was very what a lot of the main stuff that he liked to speak out on was like racial injustice right and i feel that the minute black lives matter came out he would have been like yes this is the thing let's let's get this let's use this momentum and i don't think he would have just like bowed out and been like they've got this yeah and again the friends and family he left behind he had hopes of doing more acting i just i don't believe it and i i know that like he took five bullets at one point and two of them were in the head and he survived and then like two years later he takes four bullets and he dies i get that that comp like the math kind of doesn't work out and people just so desperately want to believe and i get that they need they want the hope because they desperately want him to be alive but um that's gonna get Christie's stamp uh not true yeah I also just think you know if when he was a 25 year old man and he thought this is a good idea to fake my own yeah. death a lot of the decisions most of us made at 25 years later I would say we maybe would be like uh, not really happy about those decisions like I just feel like he would have surfaced. I feel like at some point he would have yeah. been like, this is enough now. Like, you know, I, yeah. maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? But in the grand scheme of anything possibly being possible, sure. But yes, we are, yeah. we're, we're saying probably not. All right. So who's yeah. next on the list here? So another theory is we go back to the East Coast, West Coast. Was Puffy involved? Mm. Uh, Bad Boy Records and Puffy felt very threatened by Suge and Death Row, going so far as to get extra protection whenever he was in California. Apparently, some of some of Bad Boy Records people claim that they were beaten by Suge and Tupac and a bunch of their uh, bloods, I guess. And asked for information on the location of Puffy's family when they stay in California. So he was terrified of the man. Right. Uh, and for good reason. <laughs> for right, good reason. Right. I also heard he has a tank of piranha in his office. Where he just like threatens to like shove somebody's face into it. Oh. When they piss him off. So he's just unsettling. But anytime you ask Puffy, he's just like, we don't talk about things that are nonsense. But, I mean, to pull this off, I get that if he just asks the right people, it can happen. Is it possible he wanted Tupac gone? Was it possible that Suge was the actual target? Tupac got in the way. They did a terrible job, if that's the case. But... If he took Tupac out, then that's going to destroy Death Row Records, and suddenly there goes your competition. But if it gets back to Suge that you were involved in any way, he's going to take you out and you know it. So I can't decide if I think Puffy's involved, but I think Puffy is sketchy. Well, and there is, of course, also this Keefy character who's saying that he was offered a million dollars. Then, of course, mm-hmm. this this million-dollar outstanding debt from Puffy towards the Crips for yep. the concert thing. So, I mean, those do point in his favor. I got a little something yeah. I'm going to throw in the ring. Oh, yeah. So, Tupac's alleged fiance there, Rashida Jones' sister, her name again? Kadada. Kadada. Thank you so much. Yeah. Kadada claims Tupac's the love of my life. Yeah. 
But you said five months later after his death, she's seen partying with Puffy. She was at the vibe party that uh, was the party Biggie was at. And as he was leaving that party, he was shot. Here's a little. Her Her dad was throwing the party like it was his company that threw the event. But that doesn't necessarily mean she has to be there. And if she has to be there, it doesn't mean you have to be grinding up on Sean P. Diddy Combs. Absolutely. And this is, this is something that I was thinking as you were telling me all of this. This was where my, my wheels started turning. Isn't yeah. it interesting and convenient that she had been dating Tupac for a very short amount of time mm-hmm. and then very shortly after his death when he, she claimed to be in mourning, she was actually grinding on Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, whatever we want to call him. Yeah. Is it possible she was working with Puff Daddy and she was to alert him or whoever about when they were on the move. When they were leaving the hotel. She knew there was no way he was going to let her go because I'm sure that's common practice that it's like either for your safety or because he wants to flirt with other girls. I mean, you, you said yourself that the car of girls pulled up and then they're like, come with us. So it's, I don't know that it was like yeah. Tupac was necessarily being altruistic and is wanting to protect Kadada. Yeah, You know what I'm I, saying? I, I've seen lists of women he was supposedly with. Fun fact, he dated Madonna for a brief time. Huh. But then broke up with her because she was white. So he might not have been the best. Well, listen. Um, he eventually felt bad about that and did take it back and was like, I, you know. Sure. I shouldn't have said that. But to that point, also keep yes. in mind, the only reason that he and Kadata, or to, to our knowledge, a big part of yes. their relationship was because he called out Quincy Jones for having mixed children, Kadada being one of those mixed children, then she mm-hmm. conveniently falls in love with him and he's the love of her life. Isn't it possible that she might have a grudge against Tupac and p- perhaps would want to help Puffy? Sure. I mean, I it proved to me how young she was when she met him. When I saw an interview with her and she was talking about the day she met Tupac and she said that he came over and he started apologizing and he was going on and he was telling me he was sorry about the things he said about my dad and about, you know, mixed race children. And I just sat there thinking, oh, is he cute? And I'm like, I don't know if that would have been the leap I took. But again, charismatic and for real, those eyelashes, you guys. <laughs> Um, so Kidada also, after this whole thing came out of like him saying negative thing, Tupac saying negative things about Quincy Jones, Quincy Jones said, I don't care who you date, but Tupac is the one you won't be bringing home. So I feel she was like, oh, my dad doesn't approve. Cool. I love him. Right. Love of my life. Right. So I think she almost like brainwashed herself into thinking that he was going to be the perfect man. And who knows? Maybe something was going on with Puffy at the time. You never know. She clearly knew him somehow. Yeah. But also in the video of her at the party, she they're dancing together. They're getting a bit close. She's dancing with other people. And then she turns to the camera and starts doing like gang signs. 
Because I guess that's just what you do when you're feeling badass. Which gang? West. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Especially when she's surrounded by East Coast guys. Or is that her like, look at me, I'm a badass. Because I'm actually West Coast mixing in with this. It's like, I, yeah. I, I don't know what her deal is. Right. I also don't feel like we can let Puffy off the hook because... I had no idea that Puffy was anywhere even in the realm of being possible in this. But I can't stop thinking he's connected somehow. Yeah. He has to be, right? I would think so. Yeah. I mean, because when Tupac died, it just, no pun intended, but Death Row Records kind of died as well. Like, yeah, it went nowhere well, which leads us to another theory people have is the possibility was Suge involved somehow? Hello. Now, yes, he was sitting in the car right next to Tupac. It was very risky. However, maybe he told them, we're going to be at the club, hit us there. And the people jumped the gun, no pun intended, and shot early when they weren't supposed to. That's possible. Um, but also, Suge is like 6'4", 200, 300 pounds, and Tupac is like 5'11", 165. And they shot at that car 10 to 15 times and got Tupac four times and didn't get Suge at all? Like, I get that he was sitting a little bit further away, but it feels like things were more pointed at Tupac. I know right. people have suggested maybe Suge was the real target, but I feel like they, I just feel, it looks like it was aimed towards Tupac, right. is my point. Right. But it's like, could Suge do this? Now, why would Tup why would he want Tupac dead? Tupac was Suge's bread and butter. Right. There was a rumor going around that Tupac was looking to leave Death Row and start his own label, Machiavelli. Some say it was supposed to be linked to Death Row, but some say it was supposed to be linked to Quest Records, which was Quincy Jones' label. Which is like, oh, maybe, because if he's dating Quincy Jones' daughter... It would make sense that they maybe would strike up a thing where he's like, I want to go out on my own. And he's like, hey, I'd love to help you with that. Right. Because he was a huge moneymaker. So why wouldn't you want to help him? Yeah. So in the last weeks of his life, Tupac had been asking to see his financial statements from death row. And he was shot in early September. In October, death row was supposed to pay Tupac a $4.5 million royalty check. And I'm not so sure they had the money. Oh. Uh, I also found the statement that showed what he owed. And it looks like the accountant did some like interesting work to make it seem like Tupac didn't, they didn't owe him as much because they took that 4.5 million and it whittled down with various charges. And they, it said they only owed him like a million. Interesting. Mul multiple artists from death row have said, I didn't get paid when I was supposed to. A few have come forward and been like, anytime there was a discrepancy, he dealt with it. 
So I just feel it's like who's willing to talk against Shogun, who's not. Mm -hmm. So some were saying the accountant was hiding money. I don't believe that Shug actually had anything to do with Tupac's death. I think even if he knew, if Tupac planned to leave, at the time, Shug was, he secretly had a 1961 Chevy Impala custom painted for Tupac with the cover of the album Eyes on, All Eyes on Me airbrushed across the trunk. And the plan was to give this to him as a gift. He didn't get to give it to him because he died beforehand. But it's like, but then why would he have gone to all that trouble if he wasn't planning on him being around? But also, Tupac's death led to Suge's complete downfall. So he ended up filing for bankruptcy. And oh yeah, uh, the video of that fight, that little 12 second video, it shows Suge kicking at Orlando Jones. You don't know if he... Or Orlando Anderson, sorry. You don't know if he actually like connected. He just, you see him swing his foot like he's going to kick him. And that's all you see from Suge as best you can. It's very grainy. Well, that single kick caused him to be found in violation of his parole. So he was sent to jail for nine years. Whoa. Now, my question is, where the fuck was his fancy lawyer then? Yeah, great question. Which brings me to, was the lawyer and other people in Death Row trying to take over Death Row and take it away from Suge Knight? So maybe Suge was the uh, target. Now, Death Row has this criminal defense attorney named David Kenner. He's described as ruthless. At one point in the early 90s, Snoop Dogg, who was part of Death Row was on trial for murder. This David Kenner was his lawyer, and somehow, mysteriously, evidence just disappeared, and Snoop was acquitted. But a 12-second grainy-ass video, and his, and Shug goes to jail for nine years. No police report was ever filed for that fight. The video was given to police by David Kenner himself. Whoa. So is it possible that the lawyer was like, we want you gone. I want this company myself. There has been talk of like, was it Suge's estranged wife? Was she somehow involved to get the company? To which she said, if I wanted it, I could have easily gotten it in the divorce or if I wanted, I could have left and all the artists have since agreed if she left, we would have gone with her. Right. Because she was the more business-minded one, whereas Shug was just, well, Shug be Shug. I'll say that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means. Also, uh, two weeks before his death, Tupac fired David Kenner as his own lawyer. And when somebody heard that he had fired him, they said, well, that's your death then, I guess. Whoa. So like, maybe this David Kenner is more connected. We don't know if he had money, which I'm sure a criminal defense attorney of this level does. 
Maybe he just paid the right people. Who knows? Another option? We go back to the Crips and the Bloods. Orlando Anderson. Yeah. He did an interview on CNN with his lawyer. He said he didn't do it. But in the video, you can see in the moment where she's like, did you kill Tupac Shakur? And he's like, no. And you can see the one side of his mouth is trying not to smile. There is a sly little smile going on there. So one of the documentaries I watched showed the clip and brought in a body language expert who watched the interview and said, oh, he's hiding something. He can't maintain eye contact. He's hard swallowing. He's sly smiling. He knows more than he's saying. So it's like, of course he does, because Orlando is absolutely in here. There is something to me about the fact that Orlando happened to be in the lobby and Tupac sees him. Tupac didn't even see him. It was the guy who Orlando beat down who saw him, told Tupac, hey, there's that guy who beat me. And Tupac, for the sake of avenging a friend, goes in after him. But what are the odds he just happened to be standing there at that exact moment while they're walking past, I truly think that that is part of it, that he was put there so that there could be a fight and then I don't know what they planned to happen after. But in the 90s, drive-by shootings became the go-to method for gang retaliation. So, of course, Orlando's going to want to retaliate from getting beat down at MGM. Uh, or like... Just, I can't get past that Orlando happened to be in that lobby. I don't know if he was planted there. Was he somebody's patsy? Was someone like, you go there, they're going to fight you. You f then have all right to follow them and take them out. I don't know. One author claimed that Death Row Records has an accounts payable file marked OA. Potentially Orlando Anderson. Interesting. I could find nothing else on that, so I don't know for sure on that. But again, that I find fascinating yeah. because I think Orlando is involved in this in some way. Oh, for sure. I find it super convenient that after his death, his uncle, Keefe D, is suddenly willing to admit that Orlando did it. Uh, two cops who are part of the Compton PD gang unit at the time said, yeah, after it happened... All the rumors going around where it was, were saying it was Orlando. And I believe that. And the detect, one of the detectives said, and this is going to become, um, a motto. If it was, if it was shorter, I'd get it tattooed across my knuckles. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, I can't wait. Yeah. It's not what you know. It's what you can prove. <laughs> Again, would, I... You need more fingers for sure. I don't have... It would have to be on the palms of my hand. I can't do that. No. I... No. I... Again, I... It's... Brandy but, and I are having a good time. But if you put a one little tiny word, it would fit on your fingers. It's not what you know. It's what you can <laughs> prove. Well, don't... Don't tempt me now. <laughs> I don't know if I could go through with it, but let me tell you, it's been several years since I've had a tattoo and I kind of miss it. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Oh God, this is. Speaking of Vegas, I can. I smell where this is going when the world opens up again. Wow. Make it longer enough after this that I've forgotten this deep love I currently have for Tupac, so I don't make a weird mistake. Oh yeah. You know, I don't need you covering Tupac's name with roses in five years or something. That's the joke. It wasn't his name. It was his portrait. Oh, dear God. She had like a three, four inch tall portrait of him on her shoulder and she got it covered. They only dated for three months, huh? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, keep in mind, that's, that's how she felt about him. I don't know how he felt about her. When you ask like the security guys that were in and around them, he they're like, oh yeah, I remember seeing her, but she wasn't there that much. I think she was barely there. A couple of months maybe. And then it's like, oh, well, they said uh, they're engaged. She said they were engaged. And they're like, well, that's news to me. So again, I don't know if they were, but also I never saw a ring. Who knows? Maybe it was as simple as one night he told her, yeah. Yeah, I'll be with you forever. And that's all it took. You never know when you're younger. Sure. It takes very little before you're like, oh, he loves me so much. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, you like hockey? We're done. (laughs) 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 Bringing it back. I do. I do also want to point out quickly because there have been some negative things about Tupac that I said, but I just want to say in the last years, few years of his life, completely like anonymously and so that no one would like, because he wanted no one to find out about it, he had been financing at an at-risk youth center. He was bankrolling South Central sports teams and setting up a telephone helpline for young people with problems. Huh, did he have guilt over the things he's done, you think? Do you think that buying, he, buying good he karma? He had, well... Probably, but he had a very rocky childhood. Mm. His mother has openly admitted that she had a very serious cocaine addiction. And at one point he had to leave and go live with friends. And then he goes to this performing arts school, really finds that he's loving it. He's just like, uh, he was a poet and... All of this and this woman, he was a natural talent and this middle-aged white woman was like, oh my God, you're going to be something. So she like took him into her home and she like got him into the music industry. Wow. And so I think if it wasn't for some of these people, he would never have even become what he did. Right. But that does not excuse the things that he no did do. And I would like to go back just in case because I feel like I didn't hit on it. The uh, assault case he was involved in where I was like, well, there was no evidence and the witnesses all saw it. They saw, you know what? Again, I am a strong believer in believing women. Yes. So if she said things went down, um, I believe something happened. I don't know what, but he said later that he felt bad about it. He felt guilt because he said, I never should have left her alone in there with anybody. But at the time he... He, his excuse was, I figured if I go and tell them like, no, go get out of here. It then suddenly makes it like, she's my girl. And I didn't want it to look like that. And it's like, or you were just being a nice human. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No. So problematic. Yes, there are absolutely problematic. But, uh, 
Um, yeah. All right. Well, listen, we got to we got to get these things wrapped up. But, uh, you know, yeah. do you have a theory at the end of the day? Like, where do you lie on all of this? I think that Keefe D is at the very least. I think he's telling at least a partial truth. Yeah. The way he talks about it. I know he only gave that interview to save himself from a life in prison. Yeah. But I think he truly, there's something about his story. I think Orlando was involved. I don't know if he was the shooter or not, but it's just too convenient that he dies and suddenly the the gun magically shows up. But I think that Keefe D was telling the truth about who was in the vehicle and that I think there may have been somebody else who was the shooter and he's covering for them by saying, oh yeah, it was Orlando. Because if Orlando was alive right now and he gave that interview, would he still put it on Orlando? Good question. That's my question. But Well, but then on the other side of it, I mean, if what he is saying is true and Orlando came back, back home to Compton and was bragging to everybody that he killed Tupac and then he gave his gun yeah. to his friend Corey and was like, hide this for me. And then the day after he died, Corey was like, don't need this anymore. Or even, you know, maybe he was like, if I die, you know, let people find this. Like maybe maybe Orlando wanted credit for Tupac's death because it seemed like he was trying to get Without entangled in all Without doing the this. time. Exactly. Yeah. Only other thing I think that is a huge red flag is, and yeah. I agree with you, you, you said it already, but I want to say it again. Why was he in that lobby at that moment? It seems way too random. I hear you. It could be a coincidence. I don't buy that. Was he planted yeah. there by Puffy? Was he planted there by this weird, shady lawyer character? Mm-hmm. That one almost feels like, it almost feels to me like there could there could have been, A, multiple people hired to kill Tupac. Who knows? Yes. There could have been people waiting at the club that never got the chance. You know what I mean? And B, but B, it feels like there could have been multiple things going on at the same time here. Because it feels like this lawyer had a real horse in the race to try and get something to pin on Suge Knight. So it feels like I could buy that it was like, hey, I'm going to pay you to go start a fight with these guys or whatever so I could get footage to then... You know what I mean? I buy that. And he would would know the story. Right. And know if, if... Trayvon Lane is going to be going with him. Right. He would know what Orlando looks like, whereas Tupac wouldn't know who the hell that was. Right. So, yeah. But again, it could have also also been Puffy because Puffy knew all about that too. I think Puffy absolutely was somehow involved because it was like, he was being terrorized. He didn't want to even go to the West Coast because of Suge. And it was like, all you have to do, you take out that one little piece of Jenga and the whole fucking tower falls down, yeah. right? So you took him out. He also uh, was pissing off your main talent at the time, which was Biggie. Right. And so, yeah, I think Puffy was somehow involved. I really do. It does feel like, Again, I feel like it's, there's a possibility that there was lots of different people involved to lots of different degrees and lots of different degrees of success. You know, I, I think it's more yeah. than possible that there could have been a lot of people that wanted him dead. I mean, clearly we've we've gone through them. <laughs> yes. And I think it's also uh, the police department that were just like, ah, we're good. 
Yeah. Yeah, which is... Like, you you find the gun. You're like, oh, this is it. And they're like, nah, let's not. Well... We're like, Disneyland, bring your families here. I wonder who would also like, have a connection to the police. Mm. Would it be a very powerful criminal defense lawyer? Oh, who, now you're talking. Who's made evidence disappear before? Okay. Come on. I just put that together. Yeah. Well, that's why... That's why we That's do why this. we do this. I and think you there's would think in exchange he would help them become the new Disneyland. <laughs> that's all that that's all Vegas wanted. I know. But it's like I know I've never been to Vegas, but I don't know how family but they no, they tried to do that for a period of time and it failed. Yeah. And then it was after that period of time that they launched the what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Oh. Yeah, they realized that it was like this is pointless, right. it's not working. Let's just turn into the swerve of the debauchery. So maybe right. but maybe Las Vegas had nothing to do with it at all. Maybe it was all about this this criminal defense attorney who wanted Tupac's murder to go away. That didn't help his ultimate goals. Right? Yeah. Oh, I, I'm i going to say this is the most professional thing I've said on a case. I think he's our guy. <laughs> if I may. Okay, wait. Yeah? We got our scumbag! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right? I will, I will also take, I really like... David Kenner for this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't know why I was like, you know what's going to really punctuate that sentence? Getting deeper. <laughs> I don't, going into this voice. I don't know who this is. <laughs> this is Brandy the next morning it's, is who this is. It is. With that voice. Yep. But yeah. Yeah. And then my question is just who did he have? Shoot, I feel like he absolutely had like a full group. It, I mean, there's so many. It could have been. I mean, it could have still been Orlando. It could have been somebody that we yeah. we don't even know about. It could have been that there was a group of people, so that it could have been pinned on anybody. I mean, who knows? Like especially when Keefe's response was, "I would have done it for 50. It's like if you would have done it for that low, he could have probably paid a hundred grand to like to um, split it amongst a group and been like, yeah. well, there you go. And then the next time you need help with something, I'll maybe help you out. Because he's this powerful lawyer who also wore a Death Row Records medallion. Interesting. Yeah. Well, listen again, this is all conjecture. Please don't come for us, okay? We're just two gals that are talking late at night. All right, it's uh, we're not, we, we have nothing to back this up, okay? Um, we don't even pass our info on to the police, even if we had it, so. <laughs> we're fine, we're okay? We're fine. Um, yeah. Chrissy Oxborough, out of the park. Exceptional work. This was fabulous. I really, I didn't know any of this, and I feel like the bits that I did know, I had completely forgotten because this had gone yeah. on so long ago, so this was a real treat. It was and I'm gonna say it it was a fucking joy <laughs> I um again I don't know why I felt so passionate about him and this case in particular I mean he died in 96 I think I was still 
in mourning from Kurt Cobain's death. You were. Two years before. You were. So, which we'll get to, but again, that one's going to be we'll, difficult we'll, we'll for me. So it. I'm not, we'll work up I'm to just it. not ready yet. I just think there was something about it. And again, I went into this knowing very little. I was like, he did that Janet Jackson movie. He sang California Love. And he was a rapper, I guess. And that was all I knew. And so I learned so much about him. And there's just so much. And he was so beloved and he still was. is. Yeah, he still is, yeah. It's just, uh, it's just, there's so much. And I didn't expect it to be so much. But it's now inspired me to want to suggest a biggie case at some point because I have some strong feelings about that too. Absolutely. I think down the line yeah. in this season, we're absolutely going to have to cover the biggie case. Dear listeners, we hope you enjoyed this. Right now, we're going to go and record a last call. And you're like, what's a last call? Well, it's a bonus episode of True Crime and Cocktails that you can get if you subscribe to our Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash True Crime and Cocktails to learn all about how you can subscribe and get all kinds of more content from these two dingalings. Again, if if over two hours uh, isn't enough for you, yeah. uh, thank you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you over there where we have a great time. There's lots of fun bonuses. We do episodes with guest stars. We do private Q&As. It's a whole lot of fun and we hope to see you. Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Well, I think before I say that, I was going to tease... Our next episode. Yes. Now, this is probably the case that we have been asked to do more than any other case. Yeah. We have had more fan requests from you, dear listeners, for this case than any other. Yeah. So it's happening. And I'm very excited because I know next to nothing about it. Oh, see, this is so this is where Ash is going to shine. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm yeah, looking yeah. at this with fresh eyes. So I'm excited about it. And I can't wait. Well, listen. Do the honors. Oh, well, on the next True Crime and Cocktails, JonBenet Ramsey. We'll see you then. My name is Will Hines, and I am a ghostwriter, meaning I write other people's books for them. And I have a podcast called I Will Write Your Book, which are recordings of my meetings with my eccentric clients, such as a woman blocked after one sentence of a children's book about her dogs, a romance novelist who dislikes sex, and a man proud of having sampled everything in his local grocery store. This podcast has been described as fully improvised, played by some of the best comedians on the planet Earth. Hey, that's pretty good. That's I Will Write Your Book on Campfire Media. Campfire. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. 
New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.